Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, and welcome to The Signal Line. I'm Das Smith. Today's podcast is a discussion with guest Colleen Morenich about her CRV journey. This was recorded on June the 11th, 2021. We discussed Colleen's CRV journey, including basic training in CRV in 2001, being a Canadian CRV trainer for Lynn Buchanan for seven years, mentoring students, conducting conference workshops and co-presenting with Lim Buchanan at the Eurova 2009 conference regarding creating standards in the RV community. She also discusses writing articles for myself for 8 Martinis magazine, lessons she's learned, her epic fails and even epic wins in, after a long scary absence. Uh, there are many more tips, hints and pieces of information in this podcast so we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Bess. Thank you for the invite. How are you all doing this week? <laughs> oh, good. 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 Healthy. Yes, that's important. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it finally feels like summer where I'm at. So it's, it's oh, going to wow. be a good weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here it's we raining. got sunshine. Oh, yeah. I'm in Victoria, BC. Oh, I'm in Calgary. So you're. Oh. Oh, if you've got rain, we're getting it next. But we finally got sunshine <laughs> today after three days of rain. Oh wow! <sighs> yeah. Wow, it was a pleasure. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you. Thank you to Daz for inviting me. Been long time coming. <laughs> long time coming. Yeah. Can I get a show of hands who's Canadian here? Or, well, for... <laughs> we can ask a poll or something. Or, or they can, add, they can, add it they can the put, it in, put yeah. it in the chat room if you like. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sasha, Oz. All right. It's good to know where everybody's from when we start. Yeah, it's a shame that um, Zoom doesn't give you some kind of indicator, actually. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. A little a little flag or something on your on on your uh, by your name little, or something. A little maple leaf flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that would be interesting. Well, that bear with be me. Just standing there, are five or six more people here. Sure. Okay, I see that most of the people here are regulars, so that they'll know the draw anyway. Um, it's the same as it always is, guys. And if you're new as well, um, we usually let the guests uh, speak as they want uh, and tell us their tales and stories. And if you have any questions you ask along the way, you can put your hand up in the participants window by using the reaction button. Or if you don't want to speak because you're a bit shy, feel free to also ask any questions by text in the chat window. And we'll keep an eye on that and we'll try to get to them as well. So I think we've waited long enough at the moment. 
uh, and I think Colleen, um, I think we can pretty much start then. So I'm going to hand it over to you to take this away because uh, from your list of bullet points, it sounds like you've got some really interesting things to talk about. Well, um, thanks, Daz, for having me on. We've talked about this for a little while, so I'm really pleased to be here and to see everybody here tonight. Thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Colleen Marinich. I live in Canada. And uh, more than 20 years ago, I got interested in this, this thing called remote viewing. I first heard about it on the Art Bell radio show. Uh, that starts here in my hometown at midnight and it runs till five in the morning and just so happened that I had a job 4 p.m till midnight and on the drive home every night I would listen to Art Bell who I'd never heard before because I didn't have those hours of work and he was interviewing somebody who was in this secret military U.S. uh, CRV unit and uh I thought, what is this thing called remote viewing he's talking about? And uh, sat outside the house with the car running for a long time because I knew my husband was in the house sleeping. And um, the name of the book was Psychic Warrior. I thought, wow, what a compelling title for a book. So I sat up in the living room and uh, when Art Bell asked one question to uh, Morehouse, he said, is it possible for anyone to learn how to do this? And he said, yeah, sure, it's trainable. That was it. I was off to the bookstore ordering the book, read it from cover to cover, and then just started looking at everything I could on the internet, including scientific uh, research that was being done on uh, non-local awareness, they called it, and uh, other scientific terms. But I wanted to know, how is this thing even possible? And what people are calling it? And where's the training? And over the next couple of years, I did a lot of a lot of research and a lot of contacting who was on the internet at that time. Well, not very many people were uh, 20 years ago. And uh, talked to the Monroe Institute. I think I contacted Paul Smith. I contacted a couple of the trainers, just finding out what's this all about? How does the training work? Uh, met some charlatans along the way an at-home study course, take this uh, cassette tape, (laughs) this cassette tape, uh, a dozen cassettes, and listen to this while you're falling asleep at night, and you will be a remote viewer. Yeah, well, (laughs) I didn't know. I I didn't know what remote viewing was, so I was taken in, lied to. Money was taken out of my hands by people who knew that I didn't know what I was getting, Uh, Long story short, I found uh, Lim Buchanan. Uh, His training was right in line with what I thought I would want to learn. And uh, after going to a conference that Lynn hosted of CRVers, where I walked in the room not knowing if I was going to be seeing a whole bunch of people burning incense and candles and everything else. I didn't know what the community looked like. I had no idea who got into remote viewing. Walked in and it was just everyday people, everything from a 19-year-old kid to professors in university to businessmen to housewives. And I thought, okay, this is a community of people that are just like me, just everyday people. Uh, attended the conference, got home and signed up for Lynn's training. And in think, I think it was 2001, I went to my basic, cl- basic course 
And after that, I arranged for Lynn to come to Canada every August long weekend. And he trained basic, intermediate, and advanced here in Calgary. And people came up from the Northwest United States and all over Canada every year. We did that for seven years, people coming here to take training from Lynn. And during that time, I mentored students that were from my hometown, Calgary, Alberta. Uh, we would get together for pancakes and then clear the table and wipe off the sticky bits and <laughs> get out the paperwork and do sessions back and forth with each other. And I had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, Lynn had a very active student community that met every Tuesday. Back then it was a group telephone call. <laughs> and uh, we would get together and discuss session work, ask Lynn all the questions and, and all of that. So I worked my way through training all the way up to advanced and then project management and, and help Lynn do some client work as a project manager for him. And then on my own, um, I worked with a, a group of CRVers. And, and other people, and we did a lot of client work as well, mostly for missing persons, for the police, uh, law enforcement agencies. Um, after that, I did a co-presentation at the IRVA conference, IRVA conference, um, on setting standards in the community. It just seemed that everybody was kind of going about things and in a way that, that nobody was following the same guidelines. There wasn't even guidelines really in the CRV community. And I'm speaking strictly here about the CRV community. So I did a presentation with Lynn to show what can happen when you set some standards in place for training. And I did a long PowerPoint presentation. If you go to IRVA, you can see our presentation. And uh, we had been practicing a standardized training program uh, for operational viewers who wanted to do project work for four years. And we showed the results during our presentation, which was quite compelling. We uh, were mobbed when we came off the stage. People were very happy that someone was creating some guidelines or some standards. After that, uh, I was writing articles, helping Daz edit the Eight Martinis magazine. Yay, Eight Martinis. <laughs> and then I created uh, an online course, a six-week online course, where I offer private one-on-one -on -one lessons for basic and another program for intermediate and another program for advanced. I also have a mentoring troubleshooting coaching service where I help people again one-on-one -on -one using Zoom so that uh, I have a really strong connection with my students and can spend a lot of time with them while they go through the process of learning CRV and then getting better at what they already know how to do. So I guess that's a little bit of my biography as far as CRV is concerned. And um, one thing that I noticed and was very curious about when I started training in CRV and mentoring other students and we'd spend hours talking about this cool thing CRV and uh, we started asking questions to each other like is anything else happening to you <laughs> since you started training are you noticing some other strange things coming to your attention and it was 
very uh, uh, re relieving to find out that, yeah, people were just like me. They were starting to notice things or become aware of things in their everyday surroundings. It started out with uh, what I saw out of the corner of my eye. And of course, it's always out of the corner of your eye, right? You go to look at it and it's not there. But I started seeing shadows going across the walls in the living room, in the bedroom, in other rooms of the house. And at first I thought it was a car going by or something that was, you know, showing, you know, having some kind of light refraction against the living room wall. And then I realized this is this these shapes are in the shapes of human beings. They are full-sized shaped people. At first it was one, and then it was several, and then it was like a whole crowd of them were going by. And I didn't know what was going on. And I remember asking other students, are you having this? Yes, 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 I'm seeing it too. I've never talked to anybody about it because it's always out of the corner of my eye. And I don't know if I'm actually seeing it, if it's my imagination or what it is, because every time I turn around, it's not there. I said, well, what else are you noticing? And a lot of us were noticing that we were able to get a sense of things that were going to happen just before they happened. Many of us were starting to realize that we could have premonition or precognitive dreams that what we were dreaming, if we woke, if we drew up, dreamt about something, we would wake up the next day and that occurrence in our dream would actually happen in real life. I remember having one particular dream where I dreamt that somebody was out in our front lane and was going through and wrecking cars with, you know, causing damage to cars. And I got up the next day and looked across the street and there's somebody's windows in their car bastion. They weren't like that when I went to bed. So either I was dreaming what was actually happening or I was having a precog dream, but things like this started happening. I started becoming very intuitive, knowing things, knowing things that I should not know. I didn't read about them. I didn't hear about them, but I just had a knowing of things. Uh, so stuff like that started happening all the way through to noticing a spirit in our house. And the funny thing about it was, and again, looking out of the corner of my eye, I would see a person standing in the doorway of our bedroom when we were in our bed at night. I wouldn't say anything to my husband. And that went on for years. It just stood there. I had a sense nothing was, I didn't have anything to fear. And then one day I was talking to my husband while we were in bed and his eyes immediately went to the doorway. And I said, what are you looking at? <laughs> what did you just look at? I said to him, oh, no, nothing. He says, oh, it's nothing to be concerned. I said, what did you just see? He said, well, there's been this spirit that's been standing in our doorway. And I said, for about three years? He said, yeah, about three years. <laughs> So things like that started happening at home, and not only for me, but for my husband as well. So we just took it in stride. There was nothing to be concerned about. But this was something new for us that just started happening, started manifesting. Um, after I took CRV training, it just seemed that I had opened a portal or a doorway or an awareness or a sensitivity, whatever you want to call it, to these other really cool things. So... 
I guess um, I guess that's where I'd like to finish. And uh, there's a couple of other points that I'll get to, but uh, just open it up to any questions that anybody <laughs> anybody might have. Uh, Rich's first of a question, but before we go to him, we just I just saw a comment from Pablo in the chat window. He says, "Oh my God, thanks for sharing that." Besides a previous Zoom meeting. I have not heard that many people experiencing this. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's alive and well, trust me. <laughs> and we're not the only ones. So yeah. it'd be interesting yeah. to hear the experiences on that because it, yeah. it would be, it's different for me, you see, because I, I had all that weird psychic stuff before I got in the RV. So Right. Yeah. And right. the weird thing is, after I took training in CRV, all that weird stuff stopped for me. Oh, the complete opposite. Yes. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that, that's a weird contrast. Um, I'm going to let more people in, but uh, uh, yeah, as mm. I said, Rich has got his hand up first if you'd like to ask your question, Rich. Great. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, so I guess a couple of questions all tied into the last bit that you were saying. So do you feel like your training and remote viewing opened up the aperture for you to be able to see what was already in your house? Or do you feel like maybe you put out a signal out there that attracted uh, certain things? Do you have kind of a uh, explanation or theory on that? And then my second question is I was just reading uh, the sorcerer's apprentice um, and I forget the guy's name. I hate to say that um, the author, but he trained under David Morehouse uh, specifically with extended remote viewing. And so one of the things that he talked about was that something that they experienced uh, are visions, kind of like bilocating um, unwillingly. It just kind of happens and then you get a kind of a precog vision perhaps or, or some sort of message that you're supposed to receive. I've never really heard about that from a controlled remote viewing perspective. So I wasn't sure if that kind of activated certain things, but have you had... I know you talked about your precog dream, but in a waking state, have you kind of had anything like that as well? Well, seeing the person standing in the doorway of the bedroom while we're wide awake was, uh, <laughs> that was a surprise uh, for both of us. And uh, it, it carried on from there. Uh, this, uh, this spirit, entity, ghost, I'm not sure if I've got the right term there, um, uh, continued to make his presence known in a variety of different ways, uh, including I could physically hear footsteps in the house and uh, would look in the direction and see him there. So that was happening. Uh, as far as slipping in time, I had an incident in high school <laughs> in the middle of English class. That tells you how boring the class was. I was, my mind was wandering. I wasn't really paying attention to what the teacher was saying. And all of a sudden in the split second, I was not where I was sitting in class. I was, I was somewhere else in another time period. And I was aware that I had shifted in this other place as well. Um, it was the strangest experience. It didn't last for very long, but it was very real. And when it, when I quote unquote came back to sit inside the English uh, class, my teacher had noticed that something wasn't right with me and actually asked me to stay back from when the class finished and talk with him. 
and not knowing who you can talk to about things like this. As a teenager, I was quite shy about telling people what I was aware of. And I was aware of a, quite a few things that I realized none of my friends ever talked about. And when I brought it up, they didn't know what I was talking about either. But I thought it was safe to share what happened to me to my English teacher. And all he did was laugh and ask me if I'd gotten high on lunch at lunchtime. And I realized, wow, this is a teacher, this is an adult, I thought I could trust with sharing something like this. And like many of you, I'm sure, you learn to keep a lot of stuff that's happened to you through your life to yourself. Very few of us find people that we can share this kind of stuff with. So that was, that was an introduction to, you know, no, don't tell anybody about this kind of stuff. Even if all you are is just interested to know more. I grew up in a very small town, uh, the town library. I knew the town librarian. She was the mother of one of my friends. <laughs> if I went in and started asking her for certain types of books, I'm sure that she would think, what the heck is this about? And away it would, and, and away it would go. So I, I just stayed very quiet about things I was experiencing, things I was becoming aware of, things I was sensitive to. Yeah, uh, when I moved to the big city, um, I was still very eager to learn about things like this, but it wasn't until almost, well, gosh, well, what was it? 20 years after I arrived in the big city that I learned about remote viewing. But all during that time, I mean, there were some, very interesting things going on with me and with my husband, uh, who just, I, you know, what are the chances I'm going to meet somebody who has a complete understanding of all of this, and also all through his life, unable to share it with anyone. And somehow, we meet, I mean, yeah. So. Does he remote view then as well? I wish. But he says, yeah, when I got into remote viewing, I was, oh, you got to do this. We'd make such a great team. We could be monitor. You could be viewer. We could switch over. You'd be such a good viewer. And he said, you know what? This is for you. You've been reading. You're so excited about this. You're going to, you know, a conference. You're taking classes. This is for you. This is what you really need to pursue. But he's been there, my little cheerleader in the background. Every time I couldn't view myself out of a wet paper bag and say, I can't do this. I'm not doing this. That is too hard. I, I, what? Bah, 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 bah. I, I'm not supposed to do this. He, you know, take it easy. Take a break. Just go back to it when you can. And yeah, he's been he's been my rock. He's been my big supporter in, the, in all of this. I'm very lucky because I don't know about you guys, but when I bring somebody on for my training, one of the first questions I ask them is, do you have somebody you can share your experiences with? Your aha moments, your, you know, your, your times where you just wanna throw it all in, on the shelf and walk away. Is there somebody you can talk to about any of this stuff? Really, that's really important for me. If I didn't have my husband and another really good girlfriend, I, you know, but I was surprised how many people will come through training and say, haven't told my family, my friends don't know I'm here. 
and geez, if you're taking a group picture at the end of Lynn's training class, I can't be in the picture because I don't want anyone to know I'm getting involved in this. It was like funny and sad at the same time. I thought, wow, that's, that's really, really too bad. So anybody who does take this for training or anybody who is involved in training, I really hope that you have someone you can share your experiences with. Thanks for that, Colleen. Um, okay, the next person with their hands up is Pablo. Thank you, Das. So, well, you know, what you were relating kind of brought me not to tears, but I felt so relieved. And the reason is way long time ago, way much before RV, I had an experience. You know, the, the only thing I'm grateful is I had my late grandmother. She was really open to, to everything that was going on around. She probably used many religious terminology because she was, you know, raised in, in that right. environment, but she was yeah. completely open. And, you know, she kind of uh, became the, the big mother of the family after my, my great-grandmother passed away. And thus all the aunts, all the uncles, they, they will take this very seriously. But before I drift off topic, what happened is that she was living with us. I was probably 10, 11 years old. And her, her room in the second floor, she, next day she was a little bit, you know, afraid and concerned because she had seen uh, someone appear there, but she could only see, like, uh, you know, the contour, like, like there was someone standing there in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, after a few nights of that happening, she tried to, to approach this, this thing and that thing, you know, just stepped back. And when she tried to, to turn on the lights, it turned around and then disappeared. But not, you know, less like, you know, you turn and it's no longer there, but like moving slowly and fading away. Later, she, she had a, an accident. She had to, to take one of the bedrooms in, in the first floor. And you can imagine two young boys fighting. Each one gets a room if possible and stop messing with each other. So I got that room. And for many, many months, I kept having that, that situation. You know, the first time I thought it was my mother, you know, that was there checking me. Then I realized it was not my mother. That thing stood in the doorway on one of the, the corners near the window. And I was really afraid. I usually, you know, would cover myself. But one day I dared to, to check it. And it stood there just watching, probably moving from one place to another. And when dawn came in, you know, I was fully awake and, you know, that thing when light started coming in, you know, moved a little bit and started fading away. So I never got the chance to know if that was, you know, ghost, an alien, whatever. But afterwards, I got what you were mentioning, go, uh, shadow people, you know, on the corner of your eye. You were somewhere, they were moving. Sometimes you got a better view and I was concerned. One day I talked with a few friends and they also could see them and told me, no, we don't say anything because everyone makes fun of us but you know then more in life other responsibilities came in but you know then i came into rv and those things have not disappeared just changed through time and you wonder whether you know this is part of the bigger package as russell shared in in the chat because there, there's so much we don't know so much we are you know dealing with but my, my final thought is i've seen a lot of children being able to see these these things interact with them and they slowly lose that over time, right? 
so so just wanted to to share that be really thankful because you know you you relieved me a lot and thanks for sharing again oh you're welcome i think there's a lot of people like us more than not in the remote viewing and crb community yeah we have some questions in the chat window the first one was sure. from paul cosby and he asked do you ever have contact with folks who have died um well the spirit in our house i uh, assume he was alive at one point um that's the only person that i would say yes to uh that i know of i'm assuming we have a long question from Anita, so I'll try to read this out. Um, okay. She says, wow, Colleen, uh, shadows and spirits. I've been experiencing this most of my life, but did these change from simply being disembodied people whom passed on or spirits to that of alive people? Uh, she goes on to say, to simply re represent a space people in near future would fill in the shadows unique place or profile um my question being in your experience do you have any feeling uh what these energies could be did they at any time outside remote viewing try to communicate or pass on information no uh they did not try to communicate or pass on information to me um the and i'm only speaking of this one spirit that was just so prominent in our lives for over three years and uh uh I didn't get a sense that I communicated with this. It took me the longest time not to be afraid of what I was seeing. I didn't want to know if it was going to communicate. I just didn't want it around for the longest time. It really frightened me. Um, so what my husband and I continue to see around our house are shadows of not just necessarily people, but um, other beings of different sizes and uh we become aware of their presence more readily than than we did when i first started crp training so i'm not sure if that answers your question but yeah and we have a another from darby miller and he says hello colleen uh do you feel some sort of psychic detox after a session is important practice for some targets some targets, you know, at the intermediate level of training that I took, there was a process called detox that was taught to all of us because we were for the first time learning how to tap into the subconscious of a target person, ask them a question and then come back and write down the answer and continue doing session work on other aspects of the target. And uh, what I found was depending on the person at the target and what was going on at the target, I would feel a pull, like a, a lure, like a feeling like, oh, I think I could stay here and ask a few more questions. And uh, that became that became so prevalent that um, I realized how important it was for me to detox and separate from this person at the target. And it's something that now I teach all of my intermediate students 
uh, every time they ask a question of another person at the target and get an answer that they write then and there. Do a little process that separates them from the person at the target before they continue on and do any more work. I think it's extremely important that you recognize that uh, when you connect to somebody, it's a two, when you connect to your subconscious for this information at a target, it's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. And so detoxing yourself, deconnecting from the target, making sure that you're doing that is, I think, a really important practice to get into when you're up in the level of practice, uh, session work where you're actually actively contacting someone else at the target. Excellent. Thanks for that, Colleen. I mean, that's all the questions I have for now in the, in the uh, chat window. Um, anyone else here want to ask any questions live? Because no one's got their hands up at the moment. Darby uh, uh, stuck his hand up first. If you want to go first, Darby, and then we'll, we'll go to Adrian next. Sounds good. Just to follow up to that question, Colleen, since you, you, you gave an example specific to my question around uh, contacting other people, and I'm assuming you're, you're talking about contacting, uh, getting a sense of their thoughts or their consciousness or what's going on on their inner life. What are your thoughts around uh, the ethics uh, when you do something like that as a remote viewer? We've talked about that on and off uh, during these calls, and I'm curious about your thoughts. I think uh, ethics is... Uh a really important discussion to have with every person that I've talked to in the CRV community and every student that I teach. There's a line in the sand that you have to draw for yourself as far as uh, your ethical limit, standard, threshold, whatever word you wanna give it. Um, in intermediate training, when you are taught how to ask a person at the target a very mundane question, what do you think about what's happening at the target? That's your question. At the intermediate level, you're taught you ask that kind of question. It's very general, it's not specific, it's not delving into their life, their thoughts, their religion, their beliefs at all. You're simply asking them, for their reaction about what's going on at the target that they're present at. That's it. That's it. So, you know, the ethical standard there is you keep it to that question. Um, when you get on to the type of work that was done in the unit by the trained viewers there who were asking far deeper questions than that, I would assume, um, for a reason. <laughs> they were gathering intelligence uh, from people who were not allies of the United States. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion that you would have to have with unit members. But uh, ethics, I think everyone who learns how to do this at some point in your training, you will have a moment or two or three where you realize, Jesus, I could view anything. So if you can view anything, you have a responsibility to do it ethically and to make sure that you set a threshold or a line in the sand that you will not 
go over. What's really interesting, Darby, is when I tell people what I do CRV-wise, what by people who've never heard of this before and I'm explaining it to them for the first time, what's really interesting is all of a sudden I get eyebrows going up into the hairline and all of a sudden eyeballs get really big and all of a sudden they start interrupting me to say, can you read minds? And I say, well, what's your real question? Can you read my mind? Can you read my mind is what they're wanting to know. And I say, why would I? And I would find, I would find doing that highly unethical. So setting that standard for myself is something that I did very early when I had a moment, like I'm sure many other remote viewers have had, when they come to realize from the practice work that they're doing, holy mackerel, I can view anything. So I hope that answers your question. That's helpful, yeah. Thank you. Okay, next up, I think it was Adrian that wanted to ask Adrian. Hello, Adrian. How's Thailand? <laughs> Adrian's coming to us from Thailand today. You're still muted, Adrian. Yeah. Okay. It's my, I'm, I'm a, uh, this is my first multiple Zoom session I've ever done. So right. I'm, a, I'm a CRV newbie and a, and a, uh, a Zoom virgin almost. <laughs> um, <laughs> First of all, uh, I've just completed a um, Colleen's um, basic course, her, her first course, six week one online. And I just want to vouch for what she's doing. It's absolutely incredible. It's been an incredible journey for me. That's, Colleen asked me at the start, do you think you're going to get massive gains? There's going to be some big things happening in your life. And I said, ah, it'll just be, you know, but, well, it's not me for six. So much so. That I've taken the last week out. I finished my completed my course last Friday. I took a week off from it. I had to get away from it all just to just to think yeah. and let it sink in. It's maybe a bit like um, an athlete when they win their life's goal or whatever, and and, and it, the reality just takes time to sink in. Uh, yeah. It was it was really that big. I mean, fantastic. Um, yeah. So I'm in I'm in Thailand as you allude to, and it's very early in the morning. I think quarter to four, nearly whatever that. And oh. um, it's all right for you guys. I think you're all normal hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for joining us. It's wow, no, fantastic. And um, so the community I live in here um, is very spiritual. They live with spirits every day. They worship spirits daily. They feed them. They have these these spirit houses. Every house has a spirit house, and it's nothing for them. It's nothing for them. It's just like run of the mill. It's it's just like going to the shop, or you know. Um, I mean, it's just it's it. But for us guys in the Western worlds, it's sort of like a wow, sort of spirits and ghosts and and whatever. It's not not sort of normal. We're more seen as sort of fringe, maybe in that than than than, than normality. So my question, Colleen, is do you think this is part of the programming that, that takes place in our cultures and our lives as to how we perceive these things, how we react to them, or how we, we, we can perceive them or can't perceive them? 
You know, that's a really good question. I think somebody alluded to this a little earlier is that when you're younger and you have this awareness of things that your parents don't even talk to you about and, but you, you know, you, you have these conversations with people that, uh, with beings that adults can't see. <laughs> you learn really young not to speak about it, that it's not encouraged. And by the time we get into school, and we go through on, in Western culture, over here in North America, I'm only speaking of here. Uh, you get into school and, oh my goodness, no, you're never encouraged to uh, talk, even talk about it. It's never brought up in class by a teacher that I went to school with. Um, if you went to church, normal church, sure, there's that. Um, but otherwise, being aware of, being in communication with, uh, seeking out or speaking to anything that wasn't physical was never, never encouraged. I think as by the time you're out of school, uh, that's almost drummed out of you, uh, in my experience. Unless your belief is very deeply uh, entrenched into a religion and where that may be part of the practice in your religion and beliefs, um, otherwise, for those of us who didn't have that in their lives, we were, it was never encouraged. Yeah, yeah the, the, the amazing thing I found with the course uh, was how my awareness of uh, the, the ambience sort of things, um, yeah. how we go about life, we are almost numb to things that we touch and feel and the temperatures of things and the textures of things. And then when you're trained, you're being trained to recognize these things and feel the surfaces and feel the temperatures and the solidity of things and that, we sort of, wow, forgot. It's almost like you forgot to do that. It's like when you're, when you, it's like maybe when you're a kid, yeah, and you're born and you get toys and, and that's what you're doing. You're learning, you're touching, you're feeling, you're feeling temperatures, you're learning about your universe. And at some yeah. point, I think a lot of us switch off. We stop doing that. We yeah. take it for, you know, it, it's, it's like sometimes people would come to our area where we live and go, oh, it's so beautiful here. Like It's, it's, it's like amazing. You go, oh, is it? Because it's just every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you sort of switch off, yeah? But, yeah, yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, thanks for your question, Adrian. A big, um, a big part of remote viewing and getting to understand what it really is is getting to know that it's, uh, it's more than viewing. It's sensing. It's being aware of. It's being sensitive to sound, taste, smell, textures, temperatures, orientation of things at a target, uh, alignment of things. It's uh, all ambiance is huge, huge part of being aware of a different sense of things at the target, the ambiance of something at a target is, all of that is in play in CRV. I found it fascinating to learn, fascinating. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Uh, the next one with their hand up is Rich. <clears throat> I don't mind waiting if uh, other people who haven't asked uh, uh, want to talk. You're first. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so Colleen, if you wouldn't mind, you were talking about missing persons cases. And I think mm. that is an excellent use case for remote viewing. 
Uh, are there any cases in particular that A, you can discuss or B, wish to discuss? Oh, gosh, I wish I could talk about all of them, but I will, uh, I'll preface it to say this, that after a team that I worked with very closely helped mentor and train to get in the position of being operational viewers, and then we did uh, a lot of missing persons cases, and uh, I think Daz was doing a lot of that work at, 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 as well at the same time uh, my, the team was, and uh, you know, the most heartbreaking, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the most heartbreaking one was a woman who contacted me and said that her, her daughter had gone missing and the police weren't doing as much as she hoped they would do to find her and that she had reached out to other people in the psychic, quote unquote, community and that one said that she would help her, but it would cost her X number of thousands of dollars to find out where her daughter was. I cannot tell you how enraged I was to hear that. I contacted her right away, told her that is not the way things are done in the CRV community, that when we work on cases like this, we work with the investigating officers, not the family. My gosh. Can you imagine giving a report to the family member of something that you, you know, you report to the investigating officer, everything that your, your team comes up with. So that's first and foremost, you never work with a family member with respect to missing persons ever. Um, but that one really, really got me upset. Um, we worked on uh, so many missing persons cases in the, in the span of a year. What I found one of my biggest lessons was um, working on that many sessions to do with the majority of them had to do with people who weren't living anymore. And when you're a viewer and you're viewing that, by the time the year was up, a couple of the real top Crackerjack viewers that were on the team doing really good work started not bringing in very good work anymore. And when I contacted them and said, look at what you're giving me is crap, what's happening? Like, I know your standard of work, this, what, what, what's going on? Do you need a break or what? And they said, yeah. And you know what I've discovered is my subconscious can only view so many dead people. And then it doesn't want to look at them anymore. It doesn't want to know about them. It doesn't want to describe the location they're at. Like, I can't do this work anymore. I just can't. It was one of the best and biggest lessons I ever learned in CRV as a project manager is that there's some things that you ask your viewers to view. And after a while, it's like, can't do it. I remember contacting Daz about that, saying, you know, dead bodies and all that stuff. Uh, you know, do you have a reaction when you're at a target site? And Daz said, no, no, doesn't bother me at all. I said, what do you mean? So, no, doesn't bother me at all. Not one bit. I don't have any effect of it, uh, on it. It doesn't have any effect on me. And, you know, it could be the something going on with that viewer. I said, well, I... I know I'd be one that would be very much affected by seeing that kind of thing continuously for a year. So, you know, I, I, I believe my viewers, I, but um, are you telling me that this doesn't affect you at all? And he said, no, no, not a bit, not a bit. So that was surprising to learn. Yeah. I will add it. It, 
It didn't at the time, but after when I got uh, to my two hundred and fifty first case in a oh, row, oh damn, that's that's when I stopped. No um, kidding. Yeah. After two hundred and fifty one, no it was too much. Too much, yeah. So, if I may ask a clarifying question, are you saying that um, in some aspects your subconscious mind? Uh, how could I say this? Are you saying that your conscious opinion on that? aligned with your subconscious or are you saying that your subconscious mind might be blocking you from viewing certain things even if consciously you don't have an issue with it kind of like a mind of its own well let me put this back to you rich um if you were standing over one body two bodies personally three bodies four bodies five bodies six bodies in all kinds of states of you know of being um how much do you think of that you could stomach i guess for some <laughs> well without I, being I guess, there i'm sure i'd have a different reaction in person than what i would that's imagine. what i mean yeah. that's what i mean so i think for each of us it's, it's different uh right makes so, sense yeah yeah and you know for viewers who when you are at the operational level you're wanting incredibly detailed information incredibly detailed information so you're not just saying there's a body and there's some you know there's a body over here and there's water over there and there's a you know a telephone pole and the distance i mean you are describing clothing decomposition rates you know all, all kinds of stuff like that when you get into the operational level so it's, it's hard that's hard Okay, Colleen, could I just throw something in here for that? <clears throat> Go for it. Richie, is that your forehead? I see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, just when you're saying about that, um, it's the emotional at attachment that we get mm -hmm. to these targets. Some people yeah. have a very low emotion. Others can deal with more and more. And I think that's what happens to us. Yeah. Eventually, our emotions yeah. just... We, it runs out and that's why yeah. Lynn teaches the detox if you can break from those things it's otherwise you will carry stuff with you later on oh. that, that's just my little input into that yeah absolutely I agree with you Richie um, there was a session that I did early on in my training and Lynn will know what I'm about to talk about um, the target was a location describe the location and I Describe the location, not knowing what the nature of the target was. Uh, it ended up involving a missing persons case and the location uh, that was being sought, information that was being sought on the location would be where would this missing teenager be found. And uh, I, I uh, was just out of basic for about six months. And in doing this, I thought this is why I took remote viewing. I want to take remote viewing so I can help others in some way. So I volunteered to do this session for a fellow CRVer and uh, describe the location. I thought I can do that. I'm not very good at it. I don't know how much I can help. But somehow after doing that session, I became connected, attached to the people involved in that case in particular, the murderer, 
and another victim that he would that he would uh, murder. And in that connection to the two of them, uh, for the next five months, my CRV work went up on the shelf. I was extremely affected by what I was sensing was occurring. I relived countless times a day and countless times in my dreams, the murder um, of this teenage girl. And I was sensing the thoughts of the murderer and uh, it wrecked me for about five months. I was in a state of mental illness as a result of being attached to this target. I had no idea after doing this location target that this had anything to do with that location target. And it took me a long time to put two and two together and trace back what was happening to that session. The session had simple location information in it. That was it. It was very simple. I was a basic student. I didn't know how to get very much detail, but it was immediately after that that things started happening in my dreams and in my daydreams and in my thoughts and in my sense of things and I couldn't disconnect. I hadn't learned how to detox yet. I hadn't even learned that. That was in my next cl class, my intermediate. To say I went through hell for five months when I dealt with that experience is an understatement. The only thing that detached me from that experience was the help of a shaman who literally saved my life. I wouldn't be here today if he hadn't helped me. So when people say to me, is there anything dangerous about remote viewing, about CRV? Is there any dangers involved there? I say, absolutely. I remember my husband sitting down with me when I was really excited to have my plane ticket in my hand. I was getting ready to go to basic uh, in Toronto, Canada. And my husband sat me down and he said, you know, when you open this doorway, it isn't a one-way street. I hope you realize that things are going to come through that you had no intention of get, bringing in. They're going to come through whether you like it or not. And there will be very little you can do to stop them from coming through. And I thought, what is he talking about? Yeah, it was an awful experience. And uh, up till this time, whenever I'm dealing with giving a target to a student that might be emotionally controversial, I make sure that they know the nature of the target. They have every right to say no. I wasn't given that opportunity and the viewer who tasked us all had no idea that the result of what my experience would be had anything to do, would have anything to do with simply asking for location information, but it did. So when I talk about the most memorable sessions that I remember are after five months of not doing any session work, because I was afraid if I did any more session work, I would open that door even after the shaman had helped me. And one day I sat down, got out the paper, got out the pen, 
And with a lot of anxiety, having to set that aside, I did a session for the first time in five months. And when I looked at my feedback and I looked at my session, everything I did was 100% correct. And thinking, wow, that's an interesting coincidence. I did another one in a couple of days and everything in it was 100% correct. I just remember breaking down, just crying and just, thank you very much. I'm not a religious person, but it was a message to me, get, get back at it. You can do this. Everything's okay. It was, it was an incredible experience. Colleen, as a follow-on question uh, from Cedric, he, uh, he asked, how do you go about detoxing and what methods do you use? It's really a simple process of, uh, it's almost like a correction. I don't know if you're a CRV, Cedric. Um, in CRV, you can do all kinds of cues prompting to your subconscious where let's say you acquire sight contact and you're the size of an ant on the edge of a barbecue lid and you're going around and you're the size of an ant. Um, everything at the target seems absolutely gigantic to you and you will describe it that way in your session. If you can correct your alignment, your orientation at the target, you can prompt or cue your subconscious to, to give you that uh, correction. So in a detox, it's kind of like that, where you get information from someone at the target site. You've asked a very benign question, very benign. What do you, how, what's your reaction to what's going on at the target? You get your answer and right there, you pause your session. You cue yourself with writing down that information again and then saying logically, in a logical conscious response, this is from the person at the target. And then ask yourself, what's your reaction to what's going on at the target? Oh, I, and it might be something completely different than what this person at the target said, completely different. Follow that by saying, this is my reaction to the target. In other words, you identify consciously, this is from them, this is from me. And if you can't sense that there, are, there is a separation, if you can't sense that, you keep asking the question, is that from them or is that from me? Is that from them or is that from me? Oh, that's from them, that's from me. It sounds like a really simple, almost non, nonsensical answer, but it's as simple as that. It's really important to do the detox. Before we move on to the hands up one, uh, then got a follow up question on that. I think which is uh, worth asking right right here. Really, he uh, he asked, uh, "Would you talk about taking tasking from someone you don't know or who isn't trained?" Yeah, the answer, <laughs> no. <laughs> I wouldn't take tasking from anyone who isn't trained in CRV. And I wouldn't take tasking from anyone I didn't know. Absolutely not. I uh, have just seen too many dangerous things out on the out in the internet. 
from people who don't know what they're doing, don't understand the consequences that you can put a viewer into by asking them to do certain tasking on certain targets. There's, you know, there's dangerous targets out there. Uh, you know, as, as much as you may think, oh, but it's cool and it's interesting and I just want to know, well, okay, yeah, okay. So, all right, would you put, a, would you put yourself in the position of finding out this information you want to task a viewer on? Right? Would you put yourself in, in that same situation to gather the same type of information a viewer can get for you? Like, no, if you're not trained and I don't know you, <laughs> no, absolutely not. There's a huge trust factor that goes into doing work for, uh, as a viewer with somebody who tasks you, huge trust factor. I've got to be able to trust that they're not going to put me in a situation that's going to have me affected by a target that I'm viewing. I only am going to work with people I really, really trust. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, the first hands up question then has been there for a while is Ida. Thank you. I've enjoyed um, your straightforward presentation. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I'm really glad that you just got to this point because um, I have, everyone wants to bring up the word ethical and that's a whole, that could be a whole conference. Oh, but, um, absolutely. The, um, what I've learned to do is when I'm doing, uh, when I want to hire someone. And someone said this a couple of weeks ago about remote view the outcome, which I've been thinking about quite a bit. But what, what I've learned to do based on experiences, I don't want anybody's personal references. I mean, I have a very detailed um, employment app with, uh, they have to sign saying they know they're going to get, you know, the fingerprint, the whole bit, because of, um, for exactly what you're talking about, safety, security, and letting somebody into my life situation. But now I also, and I didn't used to do this. I actually used to take personal references but now um, I don't do that anymore. I just remote view them. And so thank goodness we're on Zoom. Y'all can throw things or pound on tables or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, you know, I've had some actual you know in the physical world i've had some very disturbing experiences and then i also um have had some in the immaterial what i would call the immaterial world have had some uh, disturbing experiences and i just i have no trust in especially a personal reference and this could be a mundane job. This could be 
walking my dog. This could be uh, I'm trying to think of something exceptionally mundane uh, that turned out badly. Um, driving me on a, a trip. Um, no, that that wasn't that bad, but I just, I, I don't accept personal references because people lie, especially when it's their third cousin's kid who just got out of the drug treatment program <laughs> and really needs a job. Oh boy. Anyway, but I just, I just wanted to add that and say, you know, do you think I'm, I just view it as a common sense protection. Now, you and other people may think this is not ethical. You should not do this. However, it, it has really simplified my life so much. All right, go ahead now. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ida. Thanks for sharing. Uh, who's next? I think Darby's up again. I'm here. I had to turn off the uh, turn off the vacuum. Believe it or not, I was vacuuming and listening at the same time. So good at multitasking. <laughs> uh, this is kind of a kind of in the thread of what we're talking about, Colleen. Um, wh what is your thoughts about viewing what some describe as mystery targets or esoteric targets? These could be things like aliens or UFOs or um, things of of that area some some people feel that you're basically asking for trouble and uh remote viewing is not the best way to go about looking into that kind of thing what are your thoughts about that do you think it's dangerous well when i learned how to do crb and came to the realization oh my gosh i could view anything <laughs> you know you get a little excited about all the things you've always wanted to know about. For me, it's ancient Egypt, and for other people, it's something else. But, you know, the origin of our species, wherever you want to go with it. But when you get up to the operational level of training and you realize how much detail you can get on almost anything that you want to go after, um, there's a huge uh, appeal to viewing things that you've always had an interest in. And... Uh, I say, if you want to practice, work on esoteric targets. Is that the right word? Would that, would that be, am I on the same page as you, Darby? Yeah. That kind of thing? Yeah, esoteric targets, they're fun. Certainly, if you've got a really good track record and know your own level of, uh, of success in other sessions, uh, you can expect that you'd probably get uh, the same level of a percentage of accuracy on esoteric targets. Uh, you're, for the most part, not going to get any feedback, right? Uh, depending on what the topic is that you're viewing. Um, but as far as viewing aliens, I've come to the decision that I will never task anyone or even have myself view aliens because, <laughs> to tell you the truth, I'm a little afraid of them. Uh, if they're able to be here from another planet or not, 
But if they're able to be here and have such incredible technology, far beyond what we're capable capable of right now, um, remote viewing them, uh, are they able to tell me tell whether I'm viewing them? Possibly. What would be the consequence of that? I don't want to know. I'm not going there. So that's that's just for me personally. Thank you. Excellent answer. Christopher, you're up next. Hey, everyone. Yes. Hey, um, I guess Hi. maybe this, I don't know, how are you doing? Maybe this Good. could be for anyone, but um, I was thinking, you had mentioned about ancient Egypt. I was reading about that, uh, that Alexandria project from Stephen Schwartz. I was wondering if you had any, any, I guess experience that I guess RV removing for like, archaeological sites or it doesn't have to be ancient. I guess it could be it could be anything. I mean anything buried underground. You have any you have any thoughts on that or anything you want to share about that? Archaeology is a personal uh, I have a personal interest in archaeology and like you say, it doesn't have to be ancient. It can just be anything buried, right? That's for me, archaeology, also underwater archaeology. I've always had a fascination with it, and I've never been able to do enough work on it. Uh, if I, you know, if I won the lotto tomorrow, and if I was able just to do full on, you know, day after day after day session work, it would be involving archaeology work, underwater salvage or recovery, that kind of thing. Um, it just fascinates me, and I've never been able to get enough practice in doing that kind of work. But I really am interested in that kind of stuff. How about other people? Maybe how about you, Christopher? Um, I haven't. I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of starting to get into that because I, I know people are always talking about, you know, what can I do with remote viewing? And mm. like when it came to me, it's like I didn't nothing really appealed to me. But then I kind of came upon that archaeology with the Alexandria mm. project and that that kind of that kind of resonated with me quite a bit so yeah yeah that's I think about that a lot I read a, I mean I'm obviously a kind of a history buff so you know if I could come somehow mix in RV or even just even just even just think about it even think of a project like an RV project not necessarily do it but just kind of maybe kind of think about what what would be a good project? Uh, that'd yeah. be something yeah. with my time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And uh, next is Russell, who's had his hands up for quite a while. Go for it, Russell. Hi, Colleen. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for your cheerful candidness. Oh. And at one point, Thanks. I had researched you heavily as a potential instructor because uh, I'm in Seattle. And oh. you were kind of a split distance uh, between the other ideas I was considering. Yeah. In, in referencing the five months that you went through that uh, yeah. traumatic reaction, and I'm sorry to bring it up again. Um, w when you were having the, the repetitive recall and the dreams, mm -hmm. was that from the perception position of the victim, the uh, perpetrator, or the 
future victim or was it from a third or fourth objective viewer? It affected me very personally, Russell, and thank you for letting me clarify that. I was perceiving what it was like as his victim as she was dying okay. at his hands, You're right, okay. from him. I was also, at the same time, experiencing what it was like as him, as he was doing what he was doing to these victims, particularly understanding how he was thinking mm -hmm. about what he was doing and how he thought about it and how he tried to cover it up and his thinking about all of that was coming through. I was experiencing as if I was her, as if I was him. It was a constant connection that I couldn't seem to break. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't get myself away from, it was a horrible, horrible experience. I, yeah, so, so it was essentially an inside perception position. Yes. From one point of view, was it simultaneous or alternating? Switching, switching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, for, uh, Early on, fortunately, I read uh, Lynn's account of his Tunguska experience and um, <clears throat> how long that had impacted. And I think if I remember correctly, that is what led to the uh, detox protocol. And when you talked about, uh, I had a couple of things and kind of tied into Rich's thing. Um, I started taking Pam Coronado's psychic detective training Mm -hmm. And my career prior to that was Seattle Fire Department. So with my own uh, eyes, I'd seen a lot of things. So I thought this is going to be a piece of cake. I, I mean, I've seen it also. And kind of what Rich yeah. was saying, a little bit what you were saying, I think when I was there consciously at a scene, I could tell myself, I'm here to try to help somebody who's had a bad day, but I don't want to have a bad day. Yes. But in remote viewing, my pre-conscious or subconscious um, didn't have that filter. It just took it directly and raw. Yep. So I found myself avoiding these sessions or having big gaps in data. And it shocked me because I was like, I, I've, told, I've seen all this, you know. So I think it was the lack of conscious filter um, that when I started viewing those types of situations through Pam's taskings. Uh, yeah. That, that made it so impactful that, that yep. even though I'd seen it with my own eyes in a session, I, I ran from it. Yep. Um, I think because we connect at a completely different level than when we do in our, in our yeah. physical conscious, right? We connect at an entirely different level. Well, you would have to right? tell yourself, I mean, if you walked into a room that was just horrific, it, it, you could feel it. And then you'd have to remind yourself, I need to get to work. I, I have to be logical here right. and I have to assess yeah. breathing, yeah. Airway, you know, all these factors. Yeah. But with, if, if we're, if our pre-conscious is settling on that information in a tasking, we, yeah. we don't have that uh, luxury of a, of a filter. So you right. definitely open the door to, to, I guess what I would say, uh, certifying or reassuring me that uh, I'm not crazy on that point. No, no, not thing, at all. The other thing I put in the chat that you might find interesting, when you said Art Bell was your first mm -hmm. contact, 
it triggered a, a conversation I happened to have uh, saved the, or made a transcript of where Art Bell talked to Ingo and asked him, what happens when you go from 10% perception, go through perceptual training? And Ingo answered in literally almost your exact words, your vision is open because as soon as I came back from my first training in 2010 um, and then trained two friends of mine, you know, the best I could knowing what I knew at the time, mm-hmm. we all started having this little blurs in the peripheral vision yeah. and some other encounters, a couple of which were, you know, unpleasant. Yeah. So Ingo literally almost word for word described the thing. I, I, I put that in the chat, but it was an Art Bell interview. Yeah. So um, I, I'd have to say in quite a while, this is a very enlightening conversation and thank you. Oh, good. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. That's all the all the questions I have now in the uh, in the participants. We know unless anyone else uh, wants to ask one straight off the bat. If not, I was looking at your list, Colleen. Uh, I'll try and get mm-hmm. that again now. Um, there was something I wanted to ask you, but I bear with me a sec. Okay. I've been I've been cutting and pasting questions, so I've okay. might have lost it. Uh, yeah, you're. Uh, you said lessons I learned, and then you went on. And you said epic fails and epic wins after. Oh, I knew you were going to hit that. I knew you were going to hit on that. <laughs> well, we're you know, every, get away every, with. Everyone thinks. Everyone thinks that we're reviewers. <laughs> they hit the target every time, and, and we're, we're not. We all have epic fails, so it's always good to discuss a few. Okay, well, in basic class, I'm sitting there. I'm very excited to be there. Ling goes around the table. Why are you here? What do you want to take remote viewing for? I just wanted to know how I could use this new thing to help people. I had no idea how, but that's, and I said to him when he came to me, I don't know why I'm here. I just know I'm, I'm supposed to be here. I, that's, that's all I know. I'm sitting across the table from two sisters one of whom is very psychic. The other one is the coordinator for the class and me and one other fella. And I'm watching what this psychic lady can do as Lynn goes around the table and teaches each of us what the rest watching. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I am so gunned here. I've got a psychic sitting across the table and she's acing, acing, acing everything. Lynn comes around to me. I I, I don't even get a half a page in and I practically rip the paper with my pen tip. I just have this visceral physical reaction to this overwhelming sensation. I didn't know what it was. And Lynn said, okay, stop, 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 stop. And he opens up the envelope and he pulls out my target and it's, you know, an overweight guy sitting on a lawn chair on a beach that's practically empty with a beautiful blue ocean in front of him. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking at Lynn, like, what does this mean? What happened to me? What just, you know, what just occurred? What over? And Lynn says, okay, we're going to learn something at Colleen's expense here. Um, Are you afraid of deep water? He says, well, I'm terrified of deep water. You wouldn't catch me out in that ocean ever. My husband can attest to this from our honeymoon on a snorkeling trip. It was a disaster. (laughs) But yes, I'm terrified of deep water. I had no idea that you will physically react 
to a target scene that you would normally be very averse to? I had no idea that was possible, that that even took place when you were a CRVer. So that was one learning experience that everyone had at my expense and basic. The other was one-on-one -on -one training at the advanced level. I'm sitting knee to knee at my kitchen table. I'm getting one-on-one -on -one training in advanced. And with Lynn asking, acting as my trainer and monitor, he got me, gave me my coordinates, gave me my tasking. Two and a half hours later, he looks at me, hasn't said a word. Hasn't said a word. I'm working away, working away, working away, telling him what I'm getting, what I'm getting. And he says, why don't we take a break for lunch? I said, sure, let's get, take a break. We jump in the car and just before I turn the ignition, Lynn says, I just have a question. I said, what? <laughs> he says, how much of that was total bullshit? And I realized, oh my God, oh my God. The moment he said it, I realized everything I had done that he had sat in for two and a half hours, completely silent, was nothing but a castle build. Nothing but garbage, trash, nothing was not on target. He knew what the target was, I didn't. Embarrassing. Oh my God, that was, yeah. We came back, I dug myself out of the hole in another, and continued on the session and ended up having good site contact. But yeah, epic fails. <laughs> oh my God. If anyone else would like to share. <laughs> oh, their failures. Oh my God, that was so embarrassing. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, so. So there's that, Daz. <laughs> well, well, to follow that, you also said uh, in your questions here or your points here, um, your most memorable sessions and what you learned from them. Uh, I'd be interested yeah. to find out what, what when your most memorable ones are. The 200 percenters after coming back from that horrible five months of, of just mental <laughs> and emotional devastation. Uh, there were a couple of sessions that I remember um, having really strong impressions in. And one was an advanced level session that I worked on for several days over the, over the span of a week. And I remember sitting back in my chair and wanting to physically go like this. There's something whipping, whipping. And I remember feeling that sensation so strong and was writing it down in words that I could describe in my session. And when I saw the target, uh, when I was done my session completely, it was a factory setting where they were, do you know the, the, the rope that they tie really big ships in and, and pull them into port and tie them off? And they're big, enormous, huge rope. This was the factory that made them and wound them onto the big spindles in order to ship them off to the shipping companies. And there was this whipping motion that would get them around the spool. Like st strange things, I'll never forget that though. It was the strangest experience. There was another one where a target I had that there was, the target was the outside of Area 51, there's a sign, something to the effect, if you cross this 
if you go beyond here, your life's in danger, not in those words. But that sign in the dark was my target. Unbeknownst to me, I'm working away, I'm working away, and all of a sudden, whoa, I get this feeling, oh, God, we're not supposed to be here. We are not supposed to be here. And I remember writing that down. Holy cow, we need to get out of here. We're not supposed to be here. First time I'd ever felt like that. I was, holy cow, holy cow. Open up the target and see, oh, geez, look at that. But I had this overwhelming sense of we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be here. Another target I did, um, uh, there was a big iron gate with the name of the estate across it in ironwork. And suddenly what came to mind was exactly that word. And I can't think of it at the moment, but it was exactly that word. And I wrote it down in a session. And then when I pulled it out of there, it was like, whoa, whoa. Look at that. I wrote this down on page four. Look at that. Look at that. I got it on page four. Look at this. Look at that. There's moments like that. And there's other moments that students that I've trained have as well. And, you know, the physical reactions that you have to a target. There was one target that I gave a student and it was snowboarders who were in racing. They were coming around a steep corner and their arms were out like this. And, you know, he just got onto target and all of a sudden he went. And I'm watching him on the webcam trying to keep a straight face looking. And I said, oh, can you put that in words? Yeah, they're, they're going like that. I said, okay, put that in words, write that down. <laughs> trying and then you show them the feedback photo afterwards and it snowboarders in this race you know there's another student who just kept going wow there's something on the back back of my neck she's going like this i said what what she's i it, there's something on the back of my neck and she's whacking at the back of her neck and i show her the feedback photo afterwards and it's a hoop hoop cam do you know what that is in in basketball where they put the camera right up by the basketball hoop so as they're jumping and they're just about to you know throw that ball into the hoop you can see all the faces of all the players right there and it was coming the basketball was coming right through the hoop and there was a guy on the opposing team right underneath it and it was going to hit him right on the back of the head when it came through and it was one of those dunking ones where they just slam it in and she was getting that sensation. So, oh my God, I got something on the back of my neck. So, you know, for CRVers who practice session work and they have these kind of physical reactions to the targets that they work on, I mean, you're never going to forget a target like that. <laughs> wow. We have a question in the chat from Tracy. Uh, she says, Hi, Colleen, can you sign up to basic C CRV at any time? With me or? I guess she means with you, yes. <laughs> yeah, contact me, Tracy. Yep. Yeah. We'll make sure the link's in the yeah. chat again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I may have linked the wrong or like the most basic one. Um, what was your yeah. cost for that? I couldn't find a pricing information. How about you contact me personally and I'll <laughs> give it to you by email? Okay, sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> sorry and on your list as well you also had uh you, the best lesson you learned as a crv project manager that sounds interesting. That, 
Yeah, that was the one about the viewers who'd worked a whole year on nothing but missing persons cases. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the most important lesson I learned was, you know, that kind of work, it takes a toll on you. It, yeah. it really does. And you've got to be very aware of that as a project manager, that this trust, this huge trust factor between you and the viewers that you're working with, uh, don't do anything. Uh, and that was completely unintentional. I had no idea that it was going to affect them to the, to the effect, to the, to the way it was until they started turning in crap. And then I realized something was wrong. I, yeah. uh, you know, I should have been checking in earlier than that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, oh, we got some hands up. Russell's got his hand up again. If you want to go, yeah. Russell. Russell. Yeah. Lynn had made a comment in the chat and I was incorrect. So, so what he said was that, uh, the, the session slowly wore off later, two years later, he developed the protocols for detoxification and where I got confused, where he said, and he found out that he still needed to detoxify from that session two years earlier. So uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that correction. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Russell. And the next step with his hand up is Dom. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, uh, let me see if I can put this in words. I'm taking the same psychic detective class through Pam Coronado that Russell is taking, and I'm experiencing similar issues transitioning from a remote viewing background and uh, training into a psychic detective. Um, the casework is is really different. I mean, you know, when you're doing practice targets, you know, there's a sort of like a, an easygoing nature about them. When you're doing like live cases where someone is, you're wondering whether they're alive right now or dead so that the police have more time to go hunt and search or something more immediate, um, it sort of messes with your head a little bit. So, um, Anyway, I guess what I wanted to uh, mention here was I did a, a case, what was it, last week, where I was given a target photo, and I perceived that he was in something. Like, I couldn't tell what it was, whether it was, uh, whether it was dirt, whether it was water, and this is revealing how good my psychic perception is, not very good. And so then when I tried to reach out and touch the subject, um, I noticed the same particulate matter was, was in his hair. And, um, and I wrote down avalanche victim. And uh, this target was uh, a training case for alive or dead. And I didn't know what it was. I, I thought he was buried somehow, and I claimed that he was dead. It turned out that he was alive. Um, and he had just survived a harrowing experience of being separated from his travel companions on Mount Whitney and spent the night um, in a freezing cold environment 
and was rescued the next day, you know, in the snow and in the ice and so on. But the thing is, first of all, I didn't perceive what that stuff was that was surrounding me and him. And uh, so I guess that was maybe my first question. And the, the second question is, I didn't get the target right because somehow my focus wasn't right. And the class pointed out that I had written down in my perceptions ankle-high boots twice. The first time I thought it might be an AOL and I threw it away. But then it came up again and they said, you know, when these things come up again and again, sometimes there's a authenticity to it. So anyway, I guess that's what I'm trying to describe if you have any comments or suggestions. Uh, comments with respect to getting more physical descriptors on the particulate? Yeah, let's try yeah. that, sure. Let's, let's start there. And I uh, agree with uh, your friends with AOLs that continue to come back repeatedly in a session. It could be that there's something, something. That's the thing. Sometimes we perceive ankle-high boots and we take it literally. Were there ankle-high boots at the target? I think that's what he was wearing when he was there, ah, yes. Interesting. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes an AOL comes through and it's symbolic of something at the target. Or it's conceptually related to something at the target. But it's not necessarily literally that at so the target. If you In had gotten point. these perceptions, would you try to unpack them? Yeah, that's, yeah. You'd go it's, after it, them. Yeah, and I would ask a couple of questions, you know, ankle high boots, how so, and in what way, and how does this correlate with the target? And mm -hmm. your answer from your subconscious might be these are, this is at the target, <laughs> which it sounds like it was for you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but sometimes they are not necessarily physical. It is a conceptual aspect of it. Or a symbolic aspect of it so you have to keep that in mind don't follow any assumption that when you get something like that that it must be physically there don't follow that leap right? i'm not sure i'm following that part can you say that again? sure when you get an aol many of us who get an aol think okay this must physically be there in your case it was but that's not necessarily so 100 percent of the time Sometimes we'll get an AOL that continues to come back and come back and come back. And it isn't the physical aspect of that thing. It's the conceptual or symbolic aspect of that thing. That's, that is something at the target that relates to something at the target. So what you're saying is don't let it drive my session. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Don't, don't jump to an assumption or a conclusion. And then right? how about my intent on, you know, I was describing him because he had this harrowing experience. And for some reason, my subconscious zeroed in on that. But really, what the teacher wanted to know was, was this person dead or alive? And I didn't seem to, like, focus on that. Now, was that just, is, is that just an experience thing? Yeah, I do think it's an experience thing. And I think that you probably got caught up in the experience of his emotional reaction to what was going on for him when he went through this harrowing experience. 
for many of us in CRV and RV training and possibly psychic training, we can, we can tap into and feel the emotion of people as they are experiencing harrowing incidents and happy incidents, gleeful incidents, deeply religious experiences, we can tap into what that feeling is like at the target for the person at the target. For some of us, it's really easy to do. So it may be that that's what you're dealing with, is that it's easy for you to connect to the emotional aspect of so the target person. I guess my question is, how do I retune myself to go after, you know, what the teacher wanted, which is what he, is he dead or alive? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm kind of stuck yeah. looking at this high impact emotional event as opposed right. to, you know, is he alive? Or is, is he, he alive at the end of that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there I, any... You know, there's a lot of viewers that have a different strategies for finding out if somebody is alive. You know, they tap into their heart. They tap into their brain. Do you know what I mean by tapping in? They become aware or sensitive to any energy coming off the heart. If there is none. Yeah, I tried to reach out and touch this individual uh, looking for mm -hmm. a heartbeat or body temperature and all I got mm -hmm. was cold. So I guess I was trapped at that event or his emotional makeup or something like that. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, not sure there's some... I'm not sure there's an easy answer for this question. I'm, yeah, there's several for training purposes, especially if you're working on a whole series of targets like this with Pam. Yeah. Well, are, that's the, are there a whole really... series of them? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I can answer, you know, with respect to me and what, how I would do it, but everyone here probably has their own way of going after information like that. But I bet you, Pam, if she's got a whole series of these set up for you, that she'll have some ways to guide you to how to find out that information with these targets. Yeah, actually, she was yeah. pretty impressed with the stuff that I had come what up with. What you got, but, the uh, particulate, yeah. But I guess I was yes. feeling bad because I didn't actually do the, the actual correct thing, you know? Alive so, or dead. Yeah. 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 Okay, all right. I, good. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. Thank you so much. Okay. Great questions there. Uh, I can add a little bit on that one, actually. Um, after doing over 200 missing person cases. Um, <laughs> but this one's more recent. Um, uh, in November, we had a... A member of crypto viewing that uh, uh, Hitomi, who was missing, uh, and she was missing first before she was found dead. And when, while she was missing, I was asked to do a uh, a remote viewing session, and uh, you know I was front loaded because I knew that Hitomi was missing. Um, but I reports back that all I could see that she was just she was horizontal, she was horizontal, and she couldn't be contacted. Um, and I kept re reporting that and I was writing that and drawing that in the RV session. Um, and the, uh, the tasker afterwards, it was asking me the question, you know, well, is she dead or is she alive? And I just, I kind of knew inside myself what the real answer was, but I wanted to fight that more than anything. So I actually gave him the answer that I felt that he wanted to hear rather than real information. So I think that sometimes, uh, we may have an internal conflict over, how we describe someone being uh, dead or alive as well. Hmm. Not right, always, thanks. but sometimes. Um, we, ha uh, we have another question from Russell. 
Actually, this is to uh, supplement Don. I had the great honor of uh, Pam consoling Don. Well, don't feel so bad. You should have seen what Russell did. So on this uh, dead or alive question, I went into an improbable streak of incorrect answers that if you totaled up those odds, I could have probably used them to win a lottery, right? So there was no 50-50, which it should have been. But Pam does reiterate, she actually doesn't task it as dead or alive, even though that's what we've come to affectionately know it as. She tasks it as described the CPS or the current physical state of the being. So mm. um, I believe she's had uh, some training from Lynn and so forth. So she understands the um, tasking, describe the current physical state. In my mind, I took it the same as Dawn. Well, basically it's dead or alive, which maybe ARV would be a better solution. Mm -hmm. When I finally for myself, and I'm not saying every uh, uh, CRV person would, would have this experience, they might be able to make it work. For me, I found out CRV wasn't the correct tool. And, and Lynn, I'm sorry, the, uh, Pam, in her CRV training, she has that. Then she has another tool where she has mediumship. Then she has another tool where she has traditional psychic. Um, so she looks at it as a toolkit. So if she gets a tasking from law enforcement and they don't tell her anything, she'll do an immediate blind CRV session. Then maybe she'll get front loaded by the detectives and then she'll do some medium work. Then she'll do some psychic work. So She'll approach this from three or four different conscious. This, you know, a wrench is not a screwdriver. So when I finally gave up on trying to apply CRV as I've learned it to that question, describe the current physical state and just sat with the picture and interacted with looking at the photo of the individual, then I was able to recover and start getting higher than 50-50 from literally a string of improbable misses. Um, so I'm glad, Don, that you were able to be consoled by my failure. Uh, it's an honor. And in that particular case, I just had to change tools. The other I, one... I, uh, if I could just interrupt you for a yes, second. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. I, I was interpreting it as a dead or alive because that's the way it was headed. But you're right. Underneath of it, it said the current state in smaller letters, and I wasn't yeah. paying attention to that. So you, you got me on that one. All right. Um, and the other thing is, I've been sort of standing up and talking in a pocket tape recorder as opposed and, and trying to feel and touch. That seems to be working better for me than trying to do a paper and pencil session. Um, I'm getting a little bit better success with that, with this casework stuff, just to, you know, tell you where I'm at right now. Well, yeah. And, and you know, when the ERV people did uh, recordings, it, it's the same thing. They were in that state. They were not going to sit up and write in, in that, that worked terrifically. So anyway, Dawn, the pain is real and I feel for <laughs> Yeah, sure it is. I'm told <laughs> that she uses me now to console people. Uh, I got quite a kick out of that. All right. Thank you. 
Uh, Dimi, you're up next with your hand up. Hello, Colleen. Thank you for being here. Hi, thank you. Um, I want to ask about your experience regarding those uh, five months of torment, but not particularly particularly that. Uh, I want uh, to know that after your, your experience on teaching, um, after that five months and after that 100 accuracy on that target, do you think uh, that pause that you have had until that time, it helped you? So um, do you think like uh, we have a benefit from taking pause between learning process, between learning stages uh, along the CRV, along the RV process of learning, I mean? Um, I think it's, uh, uh, Adrian alluded to this, is that uh, after you're done training, and uh, even as a trainer, uh, when the training course is over, <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> I remember coming home on the plane from basic training, I thought my brains were coming out of my ears. There was so much to it <laughs> to, to try to absorb, make sense of, try to figure out, and literally went home and slept for two days. I just, I was just almost unconscious while, while my brain was trying to percolate with everything I had just learned. I had the same reaction to intermediate and to advanced. There's just so much to learn in CRV and so much to uh, absorb and put all together so that you can sit down with pen and paper and bring it all together. And sometimes the most frustrating part of it is you sit down and you think you can do it. I remember this. I remember this. And you're failing, 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 failing. Thank and you so thinking, much. Thank God. you so much. <laughs> and you think, God, do I have to go back to class? What the hell's wrong with me? Right? Yes. <laughs> so, you know what? Lynn's advice to me when I call him up, I can't do this or something. <laughs> no, just keep doing it. Keep Something is working out. Something is happening and it just needs to work out. And sometimes it needs to work out while you're in session. So don't put it aside and think that when you come back a month later, everything will be corrected. No, keep working on your session work and it will get worked out and, and rectified in session. So, you know, I said to him, how many sessions do I have to put in the database, even the ones I'm getting 13% on? He said, every session goes in my database. So I have sessions there. I think the lowest one was 17% or something like that, all the way up to the other end. But, you know, they do work out while you're doing session work. All these things have to sort themselves out in a way that can only be done while you're actively engaged in a session. But you know what, this brings up a really good thing, Demi, is uh, time management. At the upper levels of training in CRV, you're doing so much session work. I've, I've actually trained people where they're turning in page 60. They've done 60 pages of session work. There's no way you can sit down and do that in one big marathon session. It's just not possible. Time management strategies come into play at the intermediate and advanced and operational level where you have to take a break in between your sessions. You do one session on a target, but it may take you a week to complete 
and you'd work on the session for maybe 40 minutes. And then the next two days later, you'll do another 20 minutes. Two days later, you'll do another 40 minutes, that kind of thing. Um, it's really important that time management be brought into play because psychic exhaustion is a thing. We've all experienced mental exhaustion, right? Coming home from CRV class, <laughs> mental exhaustion. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, psychic exhaustion feels very much like mental exhaustion. If you view to a state, if you continue to do session work and you view yourself into a state of psychic exhaustion, it feels awful. Where's your Where's your incentive to come back to the table and do another session when you run the risk of feeling like that again? Like so, so really take care of yourself, time management wise. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, may I have another one, please? Sure. Uh, <laughs> you are talking about scoring. It's important the scoring uh, when you are learning uh, RV yeah. CRV. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the training that I took from Lynn, uh, there's a score sheet at the end. After you do your session and then you do your summary of your session, there's a score sheet of about 30, I believe, categories of perceptions that you can score your work against. And only your summary is scored. And you get a correct or a not correct, yes. a correct or not correct in those 30 different categories. And then that is uploaded to a database. Yeah. Thank you very much, Colin. You're welcome. You're welcome. <coughs> I think we're approaching the two hour mark now. So oh. okay. yeah. if anyone's got any last questions, now's the time to do it. Uh, anyone got any last questions? There's none in the in the uh, the text chat window. No one's speaking, so I think we're pretty much uh, getting to a natural close point, Colleen. On that. Okay, thank um, you, everyone, for coming tonight. It was great to talk with all of you. I really appreciate all of you for coming. Thank you. Thanks, Daz, for inviting me. This was fun. Yeah, it's been great. It's very informative, yeah. and I hope everyone in, enjoyed yeah. all your all your knowledge that you had to share. Oh, thank you, thank you. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, everyone. Uh, look forward to seeing you next week. I don't know what's going to be on next week yet. We'll we'll see what we have in store for you. But again, thank you, Colleen, and everyone for coming along, and thank you, everyone, for asking your thank insightful you. questions. Thank you, thank you Colleen. Thank you, Daz. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Every, everyone, thank have you. a good weekend. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Yeah. Good night. Take care. <laughs> see you, Adrian. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.